welcome your presence, Jesus, our King, King of all the nations, King of this church, King of every heart. Lord, we are here as your humble subjects, but also those who you have called to rule over the domain of the earth in humility, love, and power. So, Lord, as we look at you this morning in the scriptures, let our hearts burn within us that we might realize who you are, what it is you've done for us and what that means for who we are and what we're called to do. Lord, we need to be sent in the power of your spirit and in the confidence that can only come through an encounter with you. So this morning, Jesus, we welcome you. We ask you to speak to us, to touch us and to draw us deeper into the things of your kingdom. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. One of my favorite uh, feast days of the year, Christ the King Sunday. A reminder as we come to the end of the liturgical year of who it is who is enthroned over the church, the life of the church and in, and in fact enthroned over the nations of the world. Though it may not seem that way because as we look at the world and if you look at world politics and government and things like that right now, you see that not much has changed uh, in all of history. There is a lot of corruption. There is a lot of misuse of power and uh, there's a perpetuation of injustice in many, many nations of the world. And I think what we are seeing and witnessing, even starting to see in the Western world is an increase of kind of uh, tyranny, a kind of oppression, a kind of a unilateral decision making that is beginning to take less and less regard for the needs and the concerns of uh, people and actually pushing forward an agenda that might not just be the best thing in the world for the nation. But I digress. Uh, what we also see throughout the nations is that Christians are have, being heavily persecuted right now. Once again, we're in a season where we see uh, whether it is in uh, in uh, countries in South America or whether it is in the nation uh, in on the continent of Africa in many places, China, uh, North Korea. The church is being persecuted and afflicted, and we also seeing things like flooding and uh, pandemics and pestilence and rumors of war. Lots of countries seem to have nuclear warheads, kind of seems to be the rumors right now. It's a little bit frightening. But what it is, is really it's just all a manifestation of what's going on in the invisible realm or in the unseen realm. Something we've been talking about in our Sunday theology class. And what we need to do, because Jesus warns us that because of the state of things like this, there are going to be uh, times, especially in the last days, when there's going to be great falling away of believers from the church. And it's because of uh, fear of persecution or simply the uh, inability and the lack of desire to uh, continue in the faith because the world offers uh, certain comforts and safety and pleasure and security, even though those things are really an illusion. Um, but Jesus warns against falling away or falling away because you get drawn away by false teaching. And so what we need to be aware and vigilant as we are living in um, in times that are uh, quite chaotic is a heavenly perspective. 
We need to see things from the perspective of what's actually happening in the heavens. That's what we were talking about this morning in our Sunday theology class. We were talking about how it's kind of hard to get your mind around this stuff like heavenly realms and spiritual beings and angels and demons and powers and principalities and all that stuff. But that's why we constantly come back to the word, because the word has to reshape our imagination according to God's perspective of things. Because that stuff is real, and what we see on earth is often a manifestation of what's happening in the heavenlies. And we're reminded today that Jesus Christ is king. He's been enthroned in heaven, in the unseen realm. And I want to talk about uh, that today, because having that heavenly perspective of Jesus ruling over all is actually going to keep us grounded in the truth of his victory and uh, help us know our place in his heavenly campaign to conquer evil and reign over the earth. Because that's, that is what is happening. And it's all going to come to a consummation when he returns and establishes his kingdom in a new heavens and a new earth. Okay. But what I want to do first is I, I often, you all know if you've been here for a while, you often know I kind of always try to give the snapshot, the bird's eye view of the biblical story from whatever angle it is that we're uh, approaching or whatever topic. And I'm going to do the same today and just give a little bit of backdrop or background story of Jesus's enthronement. Why is it important? Why is he called the king? Why is he enthroned in the heavens? And supposedly he will be over all the earth. And I want to give some background story. It all starts, as you can have can uh, guess, in the Garden of Eden. With Adam and Eve, because God created these creatures who were meant to be royal stewards of creation. They were meant to be co-regents. And you might say, well, what is that? I just thought they were human beings. Well, the language of Genesis one is filled with the language of ruling and subduing. So what is that language? It's language of what kings do and royalty does over a domain or a territory. And God was giving Adam and Eve this uh this domain of the earth, and he wanted them to represent him and spread his domain throughout the earth. And then, of course, that all went south very fast, and they did not do that. <clears throat> they did not rule. Um, but humanity's calling was a royal calling. It's a royal calling to steward and to rule alongside God and cooperate with his purposes. Of course, he is the king, capital K, but we were called to rule with him, and we failed that as human beings. And we got we got uh, we fumbled it and the devil usurped the authority of these would be royal rulers over creation. Okay, And that's why that Satan has temporary power and authority in the world. And it's why sin began to spread over the face of the earth and kind of infected everything and sort of shattered it, although it's still held together somewhat. Okay, that's why that's why we see what we see when we turn on the news, because that's the real story of the world. That's what's happened in the unseen realm. <clears throat> but fear not, because God it was not done with his creation and his uh, his desire and his intent to have royal rulers over the creation, over the domain of the earth. And so the question that it really leaves us with when Adam and Eve um, fail, the question that uh, we have to ask is who is going to rule on God's behalf faithfully over the domain of the earth and how will the power of sin that seems to permeate the entire world and break everything relationships and uh, it breaks our hearts and it, and it breaks organizations and it destroys and it breaks bodies and all that thing. And how will that power be overcome? Okay. How will that power be overcome? And then of course the rest of the old Testament is about uh, 
people who God calls to do that, but they also fail. And because we realize that the problem is in the human heart, that it just constantly goes astray from God and the human heart needs to be dealt with. So the Old Testament ends and we haven't yet found a faithful royal ruler to spread God's rule, his kingdom over all the earth, which is a good and righteous rule, one of justice and peace and mercy and all, all of those good things that we long for, but we don't see a whole lot of when we look at the state of the world today. Okay, so we get to and I'm going to get going to get to the Bible passage eventually in Daniel, but we get to the New Testament and we meet this figure named Jesus of Nazareth. And the first things when he begins to take his ministry public, the first thing that he says is language of ruling and royalty. He says the kingdom of God has come near. God's rule over creation has come near. And then he tells people to repent. That is, turn in the other direction and believe the good news. Turn away from the power of sin and turn your lives towards God because he is here to take territory back to himself. Territory that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Tracking with the storyline so far? Okay, so Jesus is here now proclaiming that God's kingdom, his royal rule, is at work in and through him, through Jesus. And he begins to, uh, you would think, perhaps have some followers and have them start building a castle and a gold-plated throne and a crown and all that and start working on his military and all that, but he doesn't do any of that. And so his, uh, his way of proclaiming God's royal rule is very strange. It's very subtle. It's very different than what people expected. Instead, he goes around and starts telling the poor and downtrodden that there's good news coming for them. And that the tables are going to be turned one day and that things that that true justice is going to reign uh, throughout the earth. And then he begins to go on and he begins to cast out a demons, unclean spirits out of people who are oppressed by evil with a simple word. He, you know what Jesus's uh, favorite word is for a demon? Go, <laughs> go. And they go. And then he begins to touch lives, many lives, multitudes of people sometimes and heals every sick body that comes to him for healing. So this is um, a different kind of royal ruler, and this must be some different kind of kingdom that's doing something. It seems to be moving forward, but not with military power and violence and aggression like most of the kingdoms of the earth move forward and take territory. And then Jesus has in his message has this focus on his own death. Like it does, it makes no sense to an earthly mind because why would a military ruler or a ruler, a kingly royal ruler, be obsessed with his own death? Like death is defeat, right? Death means destruction and it's the end of your rule. And but the whole time he's ministering for the three years that he's kind of public, he's making reference to his own death. It's a very strange thing. But people's lives are being changed. And we're seeing that the nature of God's kingdom is a, is a kingdom that brings wholeness into people's lives in ways uh, not through military aggression and violence and through different means. But even though we see many glorious things in the ministry of D- Jesus, even as he approaches his own death on the cross, which he goes to willfully, the power of sin still seems to permeate the world. It doesn't seem like there's been some ultimate victory when Jesus dies um, that now all of a sudden the world is rightly reigned by God and everything is peaceful and justice. 
there's actually still lots of sin and brokenness and sickness and death abounding throughout the world, even to this day, you may have noticed. And even as he approaches the cross and Jesus is um, by the powers of evil, working mostly in and through humanity, he's mocked, he's accused, he's investigated, he's arrested, he's questioned, he's uh, spat upon, he's tortured, and all of those things. Okay, So Christians, don't lose heart when you experience opposition uh, to the gospel when the kingdom of God is advancing through your life and ministry, through your service, through your proclamation of the kingdom, or through your uh, walking in spiritual power to make lives whole. Because Jesus endured the same thing even worse than you have. And he says, consider it, the, the Bible says, consider it a blessing to count yourself worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Okay, so, um, but here's what's happening. Something is happening in the spiritual realm. Okay, it looks like a defeat. Okay, and, pe- and you, you'd be asking as you're reading the story in Jesus' cruci- being going to his death on the cross, which is just a Roman death instrument. It's a torture device. And um, you, you've got to ask yourself, well, how can it be that this royal ruler who advances, how could this guy be God's royal ruler who's advancing his kingdom? He just got snuffed out by a Roman torture machine. And, and, and that's why the disciples, they could just not get it. They, did, they couldn't make sense of a Messiah, a king, who would go to his own death on a cross. So why is it that we call him king? This is where we have to have a heavenly perspective on what's going on in the heavens, in the spiritual realm, as regards the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay. So what is happening is what, what the cross that Jesus climbs upon, the cross that he is nailed to, is what I want to call uh, a subversive wooden throne. Because what's happening is that it's a throne, it's a torture device made of wood, but it's a subversive instrument in the hands of God to undermine and usurp the power and authority of the powers of darkness in this world. It's a, it's a, it's a mystery and God, in, in sending Jesus to the cross, tricked the powers of evil because they're the ones who are working in the people who were coming against Jesus and like piling on him and him on the cross. But God was up to a plan. God was up to something. OK, and the, the powers of hell did not see that they were being tricked because what happens is. We realize that there's a kingdom that's not of this world and there's a lot stirring in that kingdom and something's happening when this Jesus figure ascends onto this cross. Pilate, in our gospel reading today, asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus wants to expand his view. Okay, no, I'm not. He doesn't say, yes, I am the king of the nation of Israel. He says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. He's saying, my way of exercising my royal rule is not what you would expect, Pilate. It's otherworldly. I'm laying down my life to redeem mankind from the power of sin and thus breaking the devil's power over the domain of the earth. It's all very subversive. And what happens is, is that when Jesus is lifted up, he's being exalted on his throne. And what we see in the earthly realm on the hill of Calvary is kind of the inverse inversion of what's actually happening in heaven 
for he is truly seated on his throne of glory. Okay, so we, we want to I want to look at the book of Daniel and I want to um, get the heavenly perspective. So if you've got a Bible, we're in Daniel seven or you can follow along in the reading in the bulletin. Daniel chapter seven. Let's get a heavenly perspective on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Daniel, uh, keep in mind, he is writing. This is a prophetic vision. He's writing somewhere around the year 580 B.C., okay, before Christ was born. So 600 years or so before Christ was born. So this is a prophetic vision. He's seeing a vision in the, in the spiritual realm. And what Daniel is dealing with, he is... Um, he, he's an Israelite, one of God's people. He's a prophet, but he works in the kingdom of Babylon in a pagan kingdom because Babylon was ruling over and had uh, defeated Jerusalem. And Daniel had favor with the king and he was uh, working there and he was God was giving him visions of the rise and fall of worldly nations and governments. That's what these beasts and these horns represent in this vision. It's the rise and fall, the ultimate destruction and judgment of worldly governments that are corrupt and perverse. But let's look at what Daniel chapter 7 says. He looked, and here's what he saw. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Okay, this is God, right? This is God, capital G, and he's seated, and there's thrones, and he's among his heavenly council, and this is a heavenly vision. And, it, and what he sees is uh, fire and, a ha- and hair white like wool and all things that show that God has the purifying power to overcome his enemies. There's a river of fire coming out of his throne. <laughs> that's awesome, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> that's so awesome. It's like something from a video game or something. Um, and there are millions, thousands upon thousands attending him, myriads of angels and archangels and saints and martyrs in there gathered around his glorious throne room. And God is seated on his throne. And this is a court session. The court is seated, it says, and the books are open. Well, what are the books? These are books of judgment where the deeds of mankind are Recorded, that's what these books symbolize in God's memory, so to speak, in his mind, where those deeds are recorded and God opens those books. So what, this is a scene of, of judgment, of separating out right from wrong and bringing judgment against corruption. That's why now when the chapter goes on, it talks about this beast uh, being slain and its body destroyed and how there were these other beasts who had temporary authority. That's reference to earthly governments and empires nations, things like that. So this is a thr- this is a scene where the corrupt and perverse governments of the world are going to come under God's judgment. Okay. Now watch what happens. Verse 13. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Okay. So this is, remember, about 600 years or so, roughly before Jesus walked the earth. The number one title that Jesus used to refer to himself was not Son of God, it was Son of Man. Okay. Because the, word, the, 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 the literal word means human being. 
And so Jesus was using it in such a way to show forth his identification with humanity and his true humanity, but also in kind of a mysterious way to get people to be provoked to think about just what kind of human being he was, that he was more than a human being. But this is the title that Jesus used for himself more than anything, and that's intentional. You know, Jesus knew about the book of Daniel, right? Okay, so Jesus was revealing his identity to people when he called himself the son of man. He was just doing it in subtle and cryptic ways. But it says that this figure, he's like a human being, and he's presented before the um, ancient of days. He comes into his glorious presence. He's obviously welcome there. And then to him is given glory and sovereignty over the nations of the earth. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Therefore, he's divine. Because if they were worshipping someone that was non-divine, then, then God would have to deal with that, right? This is clearly representing something positive, that this Son of Man figure is being worshipped by people from the nations of the world, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And it says his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay. So Jesus's kingdom, unlike the earthly kingdoms, including the kingdom of the Roman Empire, under which he was um, killed, are going to face ultimate judgment. And what was happening in the heavenly realms when he was put on that cross is that he was being seated in the presence of the Ancient of Days and given eternal power, sovereignty, and majesty over all the nations of the world for all eternity. Amen? And he reigns there today. Today, he reigns over all creation. This is the reason for putting our hope in the, in the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus, it's because it's the hope that all of creation will ultimately be renewed and restored and wickedness will be judged and removed from the earth and Jesus will reign over creation forever. <laughs> wow! Now, I want to, uh, before we close, I want to look at the book of Revelation and there's a very... Um, there's a very strong connection, many strong connections between the prophetic book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. I've been revisiting um, as a studying for this sermon. I've been re, uh, revisiting and re studying a little bit again eschatology, which is the in theology it's the study of the last things, kind of final judgment, the return of Christ and all that thing and reviewing all the different views of Revelation. And, you know, there's the preterist view and there's the futurist view and there's the historicist view and there's the idealist view. I think I'm that one. But on, anyway, there's all kinds of fun stuff to try and wrap your mind around with how people understand the book of uh, Revelation. But that'll be for a Sunday morning theology class some other uh, time. It's fun stuff. But I want to look at Revelation chapter one and make a couple of points before we conclude. <clears throat> Starting down in uh, verse 5, it reiterates in verse 5 that Jesus, he's the faithful witness. That is, that in the face of adversity, persecution, and even murder against him, he remained faithful in his witness to God. May it be so, beloved. May it be so of us. May it be so of us. That's what John is writing because he's writing to churches who are in danger of compromising. In danger of compromising with the world. And it says he's the firstborn from the dead. That means that he was the first one raised up into the new creation with the glorified body. 
And you and I are going to be his brothers and sisters new before us to pave the way. Okay? And then it says, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Okay? So when you get frustrated with decisions that are being made in governments of the earth, just remember that the Bible says Jesus is actually ruling over all of them. And that as they scorn God and mock his word and do their own thing, Psalm chapter 2 says that God holds them in derision and he laughs. Because all of those wicked plans will come to naught. And perfect justice will be doled out when Jesus returns. But he's ruling from heaven. Now, in verse 5, it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us so much that he would free us from the captivity of sin by shedding his blood to make us whole. That is good news. You can never separate the love of Jesus from his sacrifice on the cross. The love of Jesus is not a wishy-washy, watery butterflies in my tummy. Jesus cuddles me. It is power. It is a love that goes out of its way to die to make the other whole and to win us back into his kingdom and his family. It's so much more than I like the warm fuzzies, though, and Jesus should give you warm fuzzies sometimes. Okay, I'm not against that. I'm not against that. I, I, we should weep with joy in his presence for what he's done for us and his love. Now, look at verse 6, and this is what I want us to see, because I want us to see how this, what this means for us as his followers, as we live out here and now in 2021, going into 2022, what it means to be a part of what Jesus has done. It says he's freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to like other apostles or just pastors. He's writing to believers and he says, Jesus has made us a kingdom. He has installed you with royal authority to do what? To rule over creation. Not, not for self-gain and self-interest or by injustice, like the, the rulers of the world do it. But he's called you, installed you as a king over creation to rule with justice and humility and power and love. As God continues to take territory back for his kingdom from the devil, who only has it temporarily. So... <clears throat> Anytime we, we, we look at who Jesus is and what's happening in the heavens and we see he's enthroned on high, it always has implications for our everyday life and our mission because he's the one who sends us. And some of us don't actually believe that we have the authority spiritually of a king or a priest. And the only way to, 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 to grow in that confidence and that, that authority is to spend time with the king and in his word where he calls you and tells you what you are. Don't argue with God about who you are. Uh, oh, well, I'm, I don't know. I'm just not that strong of a Christian yet. I'm still. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter. You're looking too much at yourself. You have authority and royal power to rule over creation, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name because the king lives in you and you are carrying his authority. It's not you. It's not me. I stand here and speak to you today in his authority, not mine. Okay? 
That, that, that's why I'm not my if it was us, we're weak and we're unable. But in our weakness, his power is displayed perfectly. And so we need to grow as Christians. This is not a this is that we were talking this morning in the theology class. We are not a, to be hunkering down and making sure we get all the fine points of our theology just right so we can guard against that wicked, bad world out there. Now, I, I believe in having our doctrine right and all that, but we are on the offense Jesus said, look, you are kingdom and priests. You are to go. He says that you are the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The powers of darkness that are temporarily kind of ruling over the earth, they can't prevail against my church when she is filled with my spirit and my power. Gates don't prevail against passive entities. Gates have to try to prevail against opposing force that is going to topple them. So Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against us and so we might shy away from it and think we're not good enough or we're not ready or we're not there and we need to start turning our focus to king jesus and learning to adore him to be with him and to ask him to fill us fill me fill me with your spirit help me to know that your power and your authority can be released through me today and we serve he says he's made us this so that we can serve our god and father And we do that by ruling rightly over the domain of the earth. C.S. Lewis said, I um, said this, I love one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. He said, enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. <laughs> I love that. You are called to follow the king who's come in disguise, who's tricked the powers of hell by dying on the cross and being raised up and trampling over them. You are called to join him in his campaign of sabotaging the powers of darkness and shining the light and seeing people's lives transformed as they are brought into the kingdom. And we do that. We sabotage, we sabotage the devil's purposes every time we proclaim Jesus, invite people to follow him, lay hands on the sick, care for orphans and widows, refuse to retaliate against our enemies, resist the allure of pride and lust and greed. We are sabotaging the enemy's power in advancing the kingdom of God as royal rulers over creation. So much of our lives as Christians is learning to read the Bible and believe what it says about us. We're loved by an unbreakable love. We're with someone is with us who will never leave us or forsake us and wants to clothe us with his own power and send us out with authority to trample down the powers of hell and make his name known. What I'd like to do is um, just take a couple minutes. I want to welcome uh, Father Dave, who is going to be helping out uh, in this season where we may be looking for our next um, deacon. I met with Father Dave and Diana, and they said, we, we feel like God's calling us to be around Good Shepherd right now. And I said, yay, we want you around Good Shepherd. And uh, I, asked, I asked Father Dave if he wanted to serve at the altar and help out, and so I'm so excited to have him. But what I'd like to do, uh, Father Dave and I are going to just pray for anybody. Jay, if you want to just kind of minister to the Lord, on the piano. I I feel like what the Lord was saying this morning when I was in prayer
prayer was that um, that he wanted there to be an opportunity for people to be prayed for, for kind of a renewal of confidence of who you are in Jesus, a renewal of confidence that sometimes, you know, that Paul wrote, to, Paul, Paul wrote, um, I almost gave away the trivia question, but Paul wrote to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. And so there's something that we have to do to fan in the, the flame, but the place where that happens is in the presence of the Lord. And so, uh, Father Dave and I, and if, uh, Mary, would you come up and just be a prayer minister today as well? Um, are just gonna have, we're just gonna kind of spread out here, and as Jay ministers to the Lord, we're just gonna spend a few minutes in prayer as a congregation. And if you want prayer for renewal of confidence of who you are in Christ, or really, it can be prayer for anything that is heavy on your heart right now, um, just come forward, and we wanna pray for you as we have a bit, a time of worship, because we, it's in, it's in the presence of the Lord, and when, um, Jay is ministering to the Lord, what that's doing is the worship music, it kind of changes the atmosphere in a sense and it kind of opens up spiritually for the the power of heaven to flow because the enemy hates worship music and so it kind of scatters the darkness a bit and it makes a path of the light so that's why i asked jay to minister so just ask you to enter into that place of worship and if you are feeling like man i needed to hear this today god is speaking to me i need to be renewed in my confidence to be a faithful witness to Jesus, and even in the face of fear and adversity, I want you to come forward and just have us, let us pray for you. We want to bless you and ask God to just bring courage and strength and renewal into your heart this morning.